Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise God. I, I don't think we should have any preaching tonight. I, I just want to sit there and listen to more of you guys. Praise God. Absolutely wonderful and refreshing and, oh, bless the Lord. I couldn't have asked for a better introduction to the, the message tonight. So thank God for that, for the Holy Spirit. He moves and he, he gives and he touches individuals, each working together. Bless God. Hallelujah. So um, I trust in my heart, this is a hope and I trust a word of encouragement for the weary or the frustrated or just for us in general. I just trust it's a word of encouragement. Weariness and frustration, I think, they're obviously not very pleasant things. We all feel them. But they're so important in the Christian life. They're actually important. Because they are the feeling that we get when we come up against the wall of our own human weaknesses and limitations when we reach the end of what we can influence. It could be limitations of our understanding, of our effectiveness, weakness in our, in, in our ability to change circumstances and influence other people, influence ourselves even, weaknesses in our capacity, our personalities, all of these things. And you know what? If we don't feel the frustration, if we don't feel the weariness, the problem with us is we won't turn to the Lord. We won't. That's the, the terrible reality of who we are in our old nature. But thank God he allows us to hit that wall so that he can cause us to go through it. He can cause us to go through it in his strength. Bless the Lord. So I want to, if you could turn with me tonight to Psalm 45, please. Um, I, I was in, in a few minds as to what version to, to use, because all, all the different versions I, I, I generally use had, each had different angles that were really lovely. But I, I decided to, to go with the old King James Version, because I just love the poetry of it. Um, Psalm 45, it, it's titled in my Bible, A Royal Wedding Song. That's what it is. It's a love song, a song of loves, a wedding song. We're not going to read down through it. Just maybe keep your eye on it. We'll, we'll, we'll be reading pieces of it as we go through it. But basically, it is a song. It's quite a different psalm. It starts, my heart is indicting or telling or bubbling up a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. So this is, this is about the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer, a ready writer, ready to write, ready to, to be, as Jerry would remind us, to be creative about the king. That's, that's the topic. That's the topic that will bubble up regarding the king. And this psalm goes on then to explore and explain to us the wonders of the Lord Jesus Christ in type. In, in the original language, it's, it's, it's got a lot of mixed metaphors in it. It's about a king, but that king is a warrior. It speaks about him going forth to battle, as we were singing about tonight, like riding. Behold, he comes. 
It's a king who is a man. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. But it's also a king who is anointed by God. But who is God? It goes on to say in verse 6, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So it's got this duality in it. And Hebrews refers to this in chapter 1, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got a bride. As we move on through it, it goes from the king to the bride. And that bride is also a daughter. So again, it's mixing these images. And I think, you know, we, 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 we can't get too clinical with the scripture and with the, the images we see in it. This is language grasping, grasping at concepts that are so beyond us, that are so majestic. We can't box it in. So we have to make sure we just allow it to, to just touch us in our innermost being and communicate to us these glorious truths. This bride is called to the wedding feast. She's called to leave her people, leave her father's house, the king desires her. And she comes to this wedding and she comes and there's a great work of preparation of her garments, of all that she is, of her beauty. And it ends then with this great procession into the, the wedding feast. That's, that's the general flow of the psalm. I say, we're not going to read it all through. We'll be reading bits of it as we go. But maybe just briefly, we'll just commit this message to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask, you know, we thank you just for your blessing already in this service. I feel so refreshed, Lord. Thank you for this. And we just pray you'll continue to touch our souls here tonight, that you'll continue to encourage us and strengthen us, that we'll have a tongue to speak and ears to hear what you want to say, Spirit of God. Amen. So as I said, I want to explore this psalm for the weary and the frustrated, and the tired, and the burdened. And I think for us, when we're in such scenarios, or when we're in situations we don't understand them, I think this psalm can help give us a God perspective. That's We always need a perspective. And it's I just divided it up into three parts, a God perspective in three parts, the who, the what, and the where. And... The who I've titled Copernicus for Christians. We'll explain what that's about. The what, it may not feel like it, but it's beauty treatment. And the where, we're all heading to a wedding. These are the three, just to help, help us remember these three perspectives. So firstly, the who. Copernicus for Christians. All you young people, you should know your history, studying your history. I, I don't remember a lot of my, my um, secondary school history, but I, I, this guy Copernicus always stuck in my head. He was a Polish astronomer who turned a whole worldview on its head back in the, somewhere time in the Middle Ages, I don't have the details. But he, he proposed that instead of the sun and everything else revolving around the earth, he proposed and proved, to some degree, and he was helped with later astronomers, that no, we all revolve around the sun. And this was actually regarded as heresy. It was regarded by the Catholic Church as contradictory to the word of God, 
and it was regarded as a, as a disgraceful thing to be proposing. It, we actually believed that, you know, we, everything revolved around us as a world. So why I'm saying for Christians, I, I, I believe that as Christians, we turn by the grace of God a worldview on its head. And we dare to proclaim that man is not the center of the universe. He's not. That he cannot make himself better. He cannot reach up to God. He cannot improve beyond a very small limitation. He cannot meet the righteous demands of God. He cannot solve his own problems. We've been trying for thousands of years and we're still stuck with the same problems. No. Our worldview is entirely revolutionary. It's that at the center of everything, at the center of history, at the center of life, at the center of morality, is a man, but it's the man, Christ Jesus. And even for us as Christians, you know, we can revert to the pre-Copernican worldview at times. We can revert to a view of everything as centered around me. I can't manage What's wrong with me? And we look, start looking into ourselves. We start gazing down at our own navel as the center of the universe. And God says, no, I'm giving you a perspective and a worldview here in this psalm that can keep you right, that can give you an orientation in your life, that he is the hub, he is the sun in your solar system. And all the favor and purpose of God rests on him. Thou art fairer than the children of men. God has blessed you, Jesus, forever. You. You. Gird your sword on your thigh, O most mighty. And in your majesty ride prosperously. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, so God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. You're the one, you're the righteous one. He is the center of it all. As a man, he is the fairest of 10,000. As God, he is seated on the throne of all power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The glory is his, the power is his, the victory is his. He has won every victory and are you weary with the struggle against sin? Well, stop looking into yourself. Stop looking into yourself. Look, you're, you're the earth. Look to the sun. Look unto Jesus. Stop looking at how you're doing. Get your orientation right. He has triumphed gloriously. His arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. He has defeated the enemy at the cross. He's defeated it all. He's defeated your sin. He's defeated my sin. He's defeated the devil and all his wiles. He's defeated death itself. His arrows have found their mark. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we are simply planets in that gravitational pull of the sun of righteousness. And that's the orientation of life that will keep you that will keep you. And oh, I just was so thrilled hearing what you were singing tonight. No, every other name, it will fade. Keep that orientation and view in your life, young people from Geneva. Keep him there. 
as the one name, as the one attraction, with all your weaknesses and all your failures that will come, you will come across them in life. Everything might look rosy to you now, but you will grow and you will find things that will just get you, bog you down. But keep that view. Keep that perspective. Keep that worldview. And oh, you will prosper and prevail. Hallelujah. Know that he will prevail. And you know, when we think of perhaps we have a frustration in our, in our Christian life, even just in terms of doing God's work, we want to see things happen. We want to see our friends saved. We want to see people in Feet Cork saved. We want to see the church grow. We want to see all these things. And we can get frustrated. We can get bogged down. We have to remember and remind ourselves, and I find myself constantly having to do this, what does Jesus want to do in Cork or Geneva or wherever? That's what we get in behind. It's what he wants to do. It's what he wants to do. He, in that sense, rides forth on the horse of triumph of his purpose, and we get in behind that, and we will be guaranteed success. Hallelujah. The problem for us so often is we're off here, God is over here, and we're trying this thing, and God is like, no, I want to do, I'm moving over here, I'm doing this thing. That's, oh, just the orientation that brings frustration. Every initiative starts with him, and we operate in unity with him. John, in chapter 17, has a wonderful uh, record of the prayer of the Lord Jesus for us. And just reading a couple of verses of it, he says, I do not ask for these only, he's speaking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Jesus prayed for unity, but it's not come by our unity. It's not us all just holding hands and agreeing to forget our differences. This unity, he says, it's me and you, Father. Father, you and me, I and them, them and us, so that the world may know. That's the unity. It's the unity of spirit with Christ Jesus and what he's doing, where he's leading, what he wants to achieve in your life and in the church. It's a unity. That's true unity of the spirit of God. Hallelujah. So that's our, if you like, our first perspective. It's that orientation, that worldview that will keep us. Turning then to, as we move through this psalm, to perspective number two, the, I suppose the what, as in what is the Lord perhaps doing in your life, in my life? And the psalm moves into the, the bride. And of course, we know that the bride is a type of the church. The New Testament makes that plain. 
This second perspective, what I've titled it, it may not feel like it, but it's beauty treatment. And the amazing thing about this bride, I find this, this staggering, this statement in, in, in uh, verse 11, addressing the bride, so shall the king greatly desire your beauty. Can you imagine that? The Lord greatly desires us and our beauty. What beauty, you might say? He greatly desires our beauty. And then it goes on to speak about that work, I suppose, of, 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 of preparation, of a work on this bride. It speaks in verse 13 about the king's daughter, and this again is the same. It's, it's the same image of the bride, the king's daughter, is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in, in raiment of needlework, or other translations say in, in embroidered garments, multicolored garments. And you know, this is about the work that God does within us. It's that character and Christ-likeness work that he does. Because he is less concerned with our success. He does want us to be successful, but he's less concerned with that and more concerned with our beauty. Now, he has given us a beauty in him. This is a statement of fact here. The king's daughter is all glorious within. It's inside. And he has given each and every one of you, if you're a child of God here tonight, you're beautiful. Within. Some of us are beautiful outside as well. Catherine and Pastor Steve and other people, you know. But uh, all of us are beautiful within. <laughs> within. This is a statement of fact. Our old nature is ugly, but that's on the way out. And it's being displaced by that beauty that he has planted inside us. He gave me beauty for ashes. He gave it to me. The beauty of the Lord our God, let it be upon us. And you know, each believer, I was thinking about this, each believer has a unique beauty that has been given to them. Let's just think about this for a second. Isn't there something beautiful about a life that has been wrecked by sin and turns to Christ and gets absolutely transformed and all the dark past suddenly becomes suddenly becomes just so glowing. Isn't it the most beautiful thing? But also, isn't there something uniquely beautiful about a little child brought up in a Christian home who almost seamlessly steps into the kingdom of God? And has an innocence and a freshness and a beauty of just, it's hard to even describe what it is. It's like a special life that has been spared all of the, the nastiness and the hang-ups. Isn't there something beautiful in a religious person who's put down years of trying their best and going to mass every day or doing whatever they do? And they reach a point and they realize none of it was worth anything. And they suddenly find joy and peace after years of striving in, in, in Christ. Isn't there something beautiful in that? 
like my dad, training to be a priest, trying, 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 gave up in the end, and then found Christ. It's just, there's a beauty to it. There's a beauty to it. There's an extraordinary beauty, I think, we heard um, on the prayer meeting this week, a 90-year-old brother who got saved. Just at the end. There's something so beautiful. I met a, a lady a couple of weeks ago who just got saved in her 70s. And there's a glow about her. It's like just whatever time they've left, they're glowing with that life. So each one has a unique beauty that has been given to you. And he greatly desires to beautify that beauty. He looks to enhance that seed of beauty that he's put within us, that glorious thing, and draw it out and let it take over our whole being. And you know what it's like? It reminded me thinking about this, like the women in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, the king, this despot who's looking for a, a replacement for his, 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 his wife that he's, he's divorced, he picks all the beautiful women from the land. So they're already beautiful. He picks the most beautiful women. And then he puts them through 12 months of beauty treatment. 12 months. <laughs> This guy was a fussy despot. Esther says that before a young woman's turn came in to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women. Six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And you know, it's, it's remarkable. 12 months. I suppose, I, I can only imagine, it, it, maybe these were beautiful women, but not necessarily from rich backgrounds. Maybe they had bits of knocks and bruises and blemishes in their skin. And who knows? But they had to go through this 12 months of skin treatments and all sorts. But you know what's happening in our lives is beauty treatment. We're already beautiful, but he wants to beautify that beauty. And they, they got treated with this oil of myrrh. And there's something wonderful about myrrh. It says in verse 8, thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. The myrrh that they gave Jesus at the cross. The myrrh they wrapped him in. They wrapped his body in myrrh and aloes, a hundred pounds worth of it. There's something, myrrh is, is derived from a tree where you actually wound the tree, you cut marks in it and you bleed out the gum. What a type of the work of Calvary. This oil then that's taken from it, it heals, it softens the skin, it's, it, it, it it relieves pain. It, it helps with bruises and cuts. So all of this is applied to their lives for six months, every day. And that's the beauty treatment that we're all going through, folks. It's the Spirit of God. It's the work of the cross, day in, day out, day in, day out. It's taking, causing that old, ugly nature to reduce and calling that, causing that beautiful nature in us to grow and to grow and to grow. And you know what? At times it doesn't, as I said, it doesn't feel like it. But God is doing a work. And I'm reminded of that scripture in Romans that we, we, we quote so often. All things work together for good. Everything, he takes every circumstance, every issue in our lives, he weaves it together. Like that 
clothing of wrought gold. He weaves the patterns in our lives. He weaves in the grace of God, the mercy of God, in through the trauma, in through all the darkness, in through the sickness. He weaves a pattern of grace. He weaves it. It's a gold thread of God in our lives. And I'm so grateful. What triggered this whole word was a conversation in the corridor with Andy a couple of weeks ago. I'm so grateful to your brother for encouraging me as I was bemoaning some wasted years in my life. And Andy said to me, Dara, nothing is wasted with God. Like the loaves and the fishes, he picks up every piece of it. Nothing is wasted with God in your life. Nothing. No abuse, no trauma, no suffering. And I know I don't know everyone here by any means. I know some of you. And I know some of the things you've been going through, have gone through in the past, will go through. And it's dark and it's tough gone through things myself but nothing is wasted all things can you believe it folks all things work together I struggle to believe this at times but he says it to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose all things work together for good he takes the damaged fabric of our lives he washes it he embroiders it into the most incredible pattern and garment of grace and mercy. Oh, and it's not just for ourselves. He displays his grace in us to others. Thessalonians speaks, Paul speaks to me, says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became patterns to all those believing in Macedonia. And Achaia. That pattern, that raiment of needlework, that embroidery through tribulation, it became a pattern to others. Paul says, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him. Hallelujah. Oh, this is the beauty of the bride. In many colored robes she is led to the king, one translation says. It's the diversity of grace. Yes, we believe in diversity. And it's the diversity of grace in our lives. Your grace is different to my grace. My grace is different to your grace. But together, it's a multicolored, oh, beautiful garment that will bring glory to Jesus Christ an amazing conglomeration of experience and background and darkness in which grace is working. And you know that frustration, that trauma, those years of darkness, those seemingly inexplicable circumstances, these are threads that will be taken by the Holy Spirit and woven in the garment of your salvation. And no thread will be loose. Every thread will be woven in. Oh, take encouragement, saints of God. Nothing is wasted. Hallelujah. The king greatly desires your beauty and he will do all that it takes to make you beautiful. Hallelujah. 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 Finally then, third perspective, the where. Where Where are we going? Well, we're all heading to a wedding. The goal and objective is the marriage supper of the Lamb. No less. No less. 
And this is what this psalm speaks about. I'm just complementing it with a couple of verses in Revelation chapter 19. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice, the voice of many waters saying, and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Right blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. This is the, this is the horizon. This is the completion point. He that begun a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Not when you're 50. Not when you're just the day you die. It's at that day of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride has made herself ready. That's when it all will come together. All, all the garment will be woven together. All those things will come into a perfect, perfect beautiful integration and fellowship with Jesus. Oh, can you get a sense of the glorious vista that's ahead of us? Can you allow it to lift your spirit into the heavenly places? That's where our destiny is. That's our future. In his presence. Yes, as individuals, but as a bride, as a body, as a church. He loves us and he loves the church. And you know, we create such limited horizons in our lives, even though they can be good. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, I, I, I remember myself when you're young, your, your horizon is you want to find a, a man or a woman. You want to get married. That's your horizon. And once I've, once I've that done, I'll, you know, I'll be set. Then when you're married, you've, I want to have a couple of kids. And once I get those kids, we'll move forward then. Then you, you get the kids, all right, we'll get them through school. Then your horizon is getting them through college. That's my horizon. I get my kids through college. And then maybe we'll see what we can do with my life. We create these horizons. Then you get your kids through college. And I'll, we'll have to, I'll have to ask the older folks here, but I presume it's get to retirement. Maybe it's, it's keep your health till you get to 70 or 80. No, these are all, they're good, but they're not the horizon. They're not the horizon. Do you know what? It's not even a horizon of knowing a mighty move of God. That's not even the horizon. It's not even fulfilling the call of God that the Lord puts in your life. That's a wonderful horizon, but it's not the horizon. It goes beyond that. Because no matter what happens, you can say until we reach that point, that marriage supper of the Lamb, the journey isn't over. If you're old, the journey is still not over. If you're in a valley of frustration and darkness, the journey is still not over. Even if you feel that you're in a great place and the Lord is fulfilling much for you, much that he's promised, the journey is still not over. And I want to encourage us with that. The journey is not over. If you were sitting here tonight and you're 95, I would say to you, brother, sister, the journey isn't over. Don't hang up the boots. Don't give in to some inertia. If you're stuck in a situation, remember the journey is not over. Don't give up. Don't stop following Jesus. As the, the recommendation comes to the bride, listen, O daughter, consider, forget your own people and your father's house. Don't 
Forget the other stuff. Forget all the things that just hold you back. He is your Lord. Worship him. Go after him. Oh, I would encourage you, young folk particularly, to follow him. Follow him. It's, oh, it's so much. It's such a life. Follow him. And to us here, many years on the road, follow him to the end. To the end. To the end of the journey. And the dynamic must be love. We can get caught up in mechanics and doing and working. But this psalm is a psalm. It's a song of love. That's the dynamic. All things work together to those who love God. We're heading for a wedding where we will see our bridegroom face to face. And he will look on us and it will be a look of love. And he will see the glorious work that he's perfected in us. The beautiful garments that he's worked on. And you know what? Verse 14. The companions. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought to you. Let's bring companions with us. Let's get people coming with us to this marriage feast of the Lamb. Let's look forward, not look back. Instead of your fathers shall be your children whom you make princes in all the earth. Don't be looking back to what went before. It's not about your fathers now. It's about you and your children. Have companions. Have children in the work of God. We're heading to a wedding. Let's get as many along as we can by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want to wrap up here with, a, with the words of a, of a song. We started just before I got up here with a beautiful song from the youth in Geneva. Well, I heard a beautiful song in youth last week. I hadn't heard it before, but it touched my heart and it kind of resonated with some of the thoughts here tonight. So I'm just going to read the words to you. Natasha led us in a wonderful rendition of this on Friday night. Let him turn it in your favor. Watch him work it for your good. He's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Hello peace. Hello joy. Hello love. Hello strength. Hello hope. It's a new horizon. Fear is not my future. You are. Sickness is not my story. You are. Heartbreak's not my home. You are. Death is not the end. Jesus, you are. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.